Due to the graphic nature of this urban legend, listener discretion is advised. This episode includes brief discussions of sexual coercion and graphic depictions of violence. We advise extreme caution for children under 13. It's hopelessly romantic. A moonlit night, the perfect view, a ballad on the radio. Your poodle skirt swishes as you cuddle closer to the love of your life. Then it's punctured. A bulletin on the radio. A killer on the loose. Maybe you should go home, you suggest weakly. You don't want to ruin the evening, but it is frightening. He reassures you. You'll head home right now. He puts the car in reverse, turns his head to back up. Then... A hook bursts through the driver's side window. Welcome to Haunted Places, a podcast original. I'm Greg Polson. Every Thursday, we take you to the scariest, eeriest, most haunted, real places on Earth and share their stories. This episode is part of our Urban Legends Halloween special. Every day for the month of October, we're presenting our spooky spin on an urban legend, then diving into the history of the horror. Like it or not, each terrifying tale contains a grain of truth. It's also part of our series on Halloween, where we delve into the fascinating traditions behind the world's scariest holiday. If you enjoyed this episode, be sure to check out the rest of the Parcast Presents Halloween feed on Spotify. You can find episodes of Haunted Places and all other podcast originals for free on Spotify or wherever you listen to podcasts. To stream Haunted Places for free on Spotify, just open the app and type Haunted Places in the search bar. At Parcast, we're grateful for you, our listeners. You allow us to do what we love. Let us know how we're doing. Reach out on Facebook and Instagram at Parcast and Twitter at Parcast Network. Today, we explore the urban legend to end all urban legends. The hook keeps its place at the top of the narrative food chain for a reason. It has everything you could want in a scary story. Sex, romantic tension, and blood. Not to mention one of the most iconic horror villains of all time. Even before I Know What You Did Last Summer put him on the silver screen. It sometimes seems like everyone knows the hook, or at least some iteration of it. A couple heads up to a lover's lane for a little privacy, only to have their romantic evening ruined by an ominous announcement that a hook-handed murderer is on the loose. They deliberate about what to do, ultimately deciding to leave. And just in time, too. For when the young man heads over to his girlfriend's side to open the door for her, he discovers a rusty hook embedded in the handle. Before they drove home, the killer had been inches away from gutting them both. Sadie's father was extremely overprotective, It didn't matter that he'd come to their family dinner every Sunday for the whole two months they'd been together. It didn't matter that he'd never pressured her. 
that he let her take the lead in all things. He was her best friend. And he was the only reason she'd been comfortable taking the kicker position on the team while she waited for the soccer season to start. Her knight in shining football pants. Her father still didn't trust him. They were rarely allowed to spend time alone together, which forced the couple to get creative. They told her father they were going to their high school's baseball game. They'd gone for a few minutes, took a handful of selfies, and Sadie's sister volunteered to run their social media accounts for the evening, posting pics intermittently to keep up the facade. Their father would never know that Sadie and Dom weren't there. Sadie drove them down back roads and tiny streets, doing her best to stay under the speed limit, signaling every turn. Dom rested his hand lightly on her thigh. Her skin buzzed with nervousness and anticipation. She'd never been this far out of town before, but she was excited to finally get some alone time with him. The sun set as Sadie drove them farther away from civilization and into Briarwood Park. According to her sister, it was the place to go for a little privacy. As the darkness set in, the colors fell from the trees, transforming them into monsters with skinny, hairy fingers bending down to claw at the roof of Sadie's junker. Sadie generally kept her eyes on the road, but the sheer drop-off on the driver's side opened up to a stunning view of the valley below. The soft lights of their idyllic little Connecticut town glittered below them, like a model village. Dom told her there was a nice turnaround about a mile up where they could take everything in. Dozens of yellow eyes stared at her from the darkness, a group of deer peering out from the right side of the road. Suddenly, they startled, running right into their path. Sadie swerved instinctually, their car veering towards the cliff. She slammed hard on the brakes. Rubber screeched. Somehow, she managed to stop. But one of the wheels was hanging just off the edge. Slowly, Sadie tapped the gas pedal and turned the wheel back towards the road. The car wobbled, teetering between the asphalt and the lush underbrush, 80 feet below. Sadie accelerated, turning the wheel further. Finally, the tire hit the road and the car surged forward and out of harm's way. She was hyperventilating as she turned to look at Dom, terrified that he'd hate her. He told her he was signing her up for Fast and Furious auditions immediately, his smile sweet and comforting. A blush spread to her face. She smiled and put the car in drive. The overlook was right where Dom said it would be, complete with one of those signs about being closed at sunset that everyone ignored. There was no cell reception out here. Sadie doubted that the right soundtrack for their makeout session was a Sad Bops playlist curated by Spotify. The only music currently downloaded to her phone, and really the only playlist she'd ever thought she'd need. She apologized for her poor planning. Dom suggested they listen to the radio instead. Old school. He turned the dial and found an R&B station. He made some comment about Usher being underrated, she leaned across the console and kissed him. He returned her affection. She finally felt herself beginning to relax. Suddenly, the song cut out. A panicked voice came over the air. 
Infamous serial killer Harold Martin Randall had escaped from a prison transport vehicle somewhere near Briarwood Park. Citizens were warned to report, but not engage, if they saw the man responsible for a trail of over 100 victims over the course of 20 years. Each one had been gutted using Randall's weapon of choice, a hook attached to his wrist. Sadie froze. Sadie's Aunt Julie had been one of Randall's victims. Sadie had been young at the time, so she only remembered those horrible days and flashes. Her parents had tried to protect her from it, but she'd been curious, as children were. So she googled all the details they wouldn't tell her. She cried herself to sleep for weeks afterward, but her nightmares were vivid, visceral, filled with blood and pain and screaming. But the real facts were worse. Julie had left for a camping trip with friends, but she'd never made it there. Her car was found three days later, the door left open, keys still in the ignition. Sadie's family had held massive search parties, canvassing whole neighborhoods, trekking through every inch of Briarwood Park. They found no sign of her. Three weeks later, a group of kids made a horrible discovery at a nearby playground. Julie's body. Rope burns had dug so far into her skin that the bone was visible through the carnage. A series of red X's had been carved into her neck. Her eyes had been gouged out. But the most gruesome part had been her torso. Randall had torn a jagged hole through the skin. Her organs were removed and scattered around her. The coroner's report mentioned that the most vital organs were removed last, and the only wound sustained after death was the damage to her eyes. He made her look at the organs as he tore them from her body, arranging them like flowers for her to admire. Randall had confessed to her murder when he was finally apprehended. He said he remembered Julie, how she fought. Julie had only been a few years older than Sadie. Every now and then, she caught her father looking at her, seeing his baby sister. She'd always wondered why her aunt had left the car, how Randall had lured her out of the safe metal walls. Dom rubbed Sadie's shoulder gently, asking her what was wrong. She came back to the present, slowly. It had taken her years to even consider entering these woods, and now, Randall could be hiding in them, looking for more victims. Dom didn't know about her aunt. No one in her family talked about it, believing the wound too fresh and too painful to ever share with strangers. Julie was just another name in the true crime library, victim number 56. Sadie had never found the words to tell Dom that this was why her dad was so protective of her, She'd never wanted to think that her father believed he was capable of such horrors. Dom suggested that the whole thing had to be some sort of prank. It was the anniversary of the trial. Some sick jerk had probably broken into the radio booth or something. Sadie wasn't so sure. Randall was a serious threat to the world. He had no known victim pattern. Before a dog had found one of his victim's legs partially buried in the dirt, people had nothing but lovely things to say about him. 
He was a stellar student, a perfect neighbor, a good Samaritan. He could blend in anywhere. He could be anywhere. She turned the radio off. The car was overlooking a cliff. It was supposed to be romantic, sitting high above treetops with brilliant stars overhead. But now, all Sadie could think about was how exposed they were. Dom tried to reassure her. The police were already searching the area. Someone would probably come on the radio in the next few minutes and clear the situation up, or announce that Randall had been found and was heading back to jail. She wanted to believe him, but the fear was already creeping underneath her skin. The monstrous trees were growing around the space, threatening to enclose the car, to hold them in their cage until Randall returned. He offered to get out of the car and check the surrounding woods for her. She grabbed his arm tightly. They couldn't leave the car. No matter what, they had to stay here. Dom gently pointed out that the great thing about cars were that they could move. Sadie felt stupid for not thinking of it first. He offered to switch places with her. She nervously agreed, climbing over him in a sad mockery of how they'd wanted the evening to go. He adjusted the seat, then put the car in reverse and started to back up. Something was wrong with the tires. They wobbled on the road and Dom's ever-present, ever-soothing composure seemed to slip for a moment. One of the hubcaps was scraping along the road. Another soon followed it. Dom steered the car as best he could, barely getting it to stop on the shoulder. Both of them were careful drivers. She paid close attention to the road. There hadn't been anything in their path that could have caused this. Dom nudged her shoulder. She turned towards him, a question in her eyes. He asked her if she knew what Randall looked like. She said she did. Then, Dom pointed a shaky finger towards the tree line on their left. Sadie turned her head slowly. Her stomach dropped as she saw a familiar face, one that she had seen on countless mugshots and police reports, and in her nightmares. Moonlight glinted off his hook as Harold Martin Randall waved at her. Coming up, Sadie and Dom's relationship is pushed to its breaking or bleeding point. This episode is brought to you by Anytime Fitness. Forget dark alleys and cemeteries. For some, the gym is the scariest place of all, but it doesn't have to be. With a personalized plan and expert coaching, Anytime Fitness can help make the gym less frightening. Get more for your gym membership than machines. Get personalized support anytime, anywhere. Visit anytimefitness.com to try it for free today. Terms, conditions, and restrictions apply. See website for details. Now, back to the story. Sadie and Dom had just wanted alone time. They'd driven out to Briarwood Park for a little romance. But then, an announcement on the radio had warned that serial killer Harold Martin Randall had escaped from a nearby prison. Sadie was horrified. Her aunt had been one of Randall's victims, gouged through the torso with his hook hand. The couple agreed to head home, 
but they'd only gotten a few feet when two of the tires deflated. Then they saw him across the road, Harold Martin Randall, waving at them. Sadie's eyes stayed pinned on Randall, the man from her nightmares, the one who had abducted her aunt, torturing and humiliating her as she died. Suddenly, several deer burst through the greenery and onto the road. She checked to make sure they weren't coming towards the car again. When she looked back to the tree line, Randall was gone. The only sign that he had ever been there was the slight shifting of the tree branches. They couldn't call for help. They couldn't leave. It was only a matter of time before Randall came back. Sadie's car had seen better days, but she hoped it would be sturdy enough to withstand an attack. Sadie thought of her aunt again. Her car door had been undamaged, meaning she had willingly left the vehicle. They would never know for certain what induced her to do that, whether he was masquerading as someone in need or had threatened her with a weapon. The funeral was closed casket. There wasn't much left to look at, and what remained looked nothing like the bright and intelligent woman that they all knew. If Sadie and Dom didn't survive, they'd end up in a similar position. Her father thought that they were at a school baseball game. It would take a while for anyone to realize they were missing. Sadie's sister could point them in the right direction, but the park was huge. Randall would move them. He always did. Sadie shivered. Dom placed his arm around her, trying to be comforting. He told her that he was scared too, but they were going to make it. The police were here, somewhere, combing the forest with guns and flashlights. She and Dom were safe in the car. She was right. They shouldn't leave it. She didn't share his faith in the system. Randall was out there, and he knew where the two of them were. He'd make sure they couldn't leave. He would be back for his prey. They sat in tense silence for what felt like hours. No cars passed by. No more deer. Just the two of them. They cuddled for warmth and comfort, a weight of regret settling in on both of them. The noise was so soft that Sadie thought she was hallucinating at first. But then it continued, a steady, soft thump against the passenger's side door. Sadie froze, slowly lowering her gaze to check her side mirror. Randall met her gaze, smiled. He was a vulture of a man, dark hair and pale eyes, wild and hungry. His skin was dirty and scratched as if he'd clawed his way out of hell. He was digging his hook into the door handle, undoing the lock mechanism. Sadie shifted her gaze back to Dom. Neither of them knew what to do. As they debated, the thumps got closer together. There were only two options, wait for him to come inside or get out and hope they could run fast enough. Dom lifted her up quietly to move her to the driver's side. He gave her a quick kiss and told her he loved her. She echoed the sentiment. 
Then she quietly opened the driver's side door. She darted forward, trusting Dom to follow. Randall might know these woods better than them, but they were athletes. They had speed and endurance on their side. Sadie raced toward the trees, leaves crunched under her feet. The noise was too loud in the eerie silence. There should have been more noise behind her, the thud of Dom's footsteps following, his own set of leaves and branches breaking beneath him. She looked behind her. All she could see was the car's headlights, a single looming shadow coming towards her, no sign of her boyfriend. Sadie swallowed the stomach acid that was creeping up her throat. She had to go back. Dom didn't get to play hero. She needed him. She searched her surroundings for some way to get the upper hand. The snap of a branch and the rustle of feet moving through leaves made her dart against a young tree, just thick enough to hide her silhouette. She held her breath as the footsteps got closer. Then they stopped. She was preparing to make a run for it when a calloused hand grabbed her, pinning her against the tree. The moon just behind him shrouded his face in shadows, but she knew who it was. His hook slithered down her arm, scoring the skin. He was taunting her. Tears stung her eyes. Randall ran his hook across her cheek slowly. The trees flashed faint red and blue around them as the police approached. She could see Randall's face fully this time. The anger, the interest, then recognition. Everyone said Sadie was the spitting image of her aunt. Apparently, her killer agreed. He raised his hook and brought it down. She cried out in pain, coughed up blood. Black began to creep into the edges of her vision as Randall ran away into the growing darkness. The only evidence he left behind was his hook, embedded in Sadie's stomach. No one ever saw him again. On November 8, 1960, advice columnist Abigail Van Buren, otherwise known as Dear Abby, printed a rather strange letter. Dear Abby, if you are interested in teenagers, you will print this story. I don't know whether it's true or not, but it doesn't matter, because it served its purpose on me. A fellow and his date pulled into their favorite lover's lane to listen to the radio and do a little necking. The music was interrupted by an announcer who said there was an escaped convict in the area who had served time for rape and robbery. He was described as having a hook instead of a right hand. The couple became frightened and drove away. When the boy took his girl home, he went around to open the car door for her. Then he saw a hook on the door handle. I don't think I will ever park to make out as long as I live. I hope this does the same for other kids. Jeanette. The hook has a lot in common with the boyfriend's death, which we explored earlier this month. The most noticeable change is ultimately the fate of the teens who both survive thanks to the young girl's insistence on trusting her instincts to flee instead of continuing to park with her boyfriend. 
While the boyfriend's death involves the boyfriend dying for his gallantry after heading out into the darkness in search of help, in The Hook, the boyfriend actually acts as a kind of antagonist since the titular murderer remains unseen throughout. While Jeanette's version, as described in Dear Abby, is much kinder to him, many of the iterations of the boyfriend in The Hook find him continuing to pressure the girl to forget about the dangers and go back to, well, hooking up. When she refuses, he ultimately does the driving equivalent of storming off, speeding them away from the hook-handed killer. Folklorist Alan Dundas suggests that the hook is a phallic symbol, reflecting the sexual politics of the legend's original telling. Namely, that the romantic rendezvous is interrupted by a reminder about the dangers of men. The girl then sets boundaries with her pushy boyfriend, who throws a tantrum. But it's ultimately her persistence that saves them both. They discover the danger they were in when the boy comes around the car to open the door for his girlfriend. His chivalry is restored, and she is safe again. Dundas's Freudian explanation of the presence of the hook only slightly tempers the obvious villainization of disabled people within the legend, particularly people with prosthetic limbs. It should be noted as well that because the legend specifically enumerates that the would-be murderer's weapon is a prosthetic hand, the image of the hook still stuck in the door suggests that he was partially dragged with the car when the boyfriend sped off. There are no records of any hook-handed killers murdering teens in Lover's Lanes, but there had been several strings of Lover's Lane murders before the legend of the hook gained popularity in the 1950s. The most notable of these are the so-called Texarkana Moonlight Murders, a spate of double murders that occurred between February 22nd and May 3rd, 1946, in Texarkana, Texas leaving five dead and three wounded. The killer was never found, and the Texas Department of Public Safety called the slayings the number one unsolved murder case in Texas history. The Hook is a pretty simple anti-sex morality tale with a few ableist elements to up the thrills. It contains all the familiar tropes of an evocative and effective tale to be told around a campfire an escaped killer or mental patient, a car isolated at night, and a twist that reveals the danger at the very end. It's an inherently patriarchal story, but over the years, media depictions of the legend have changed that through the horror trope of the more empowered final girl. Slowly but surely, the hook is losing his power as a punishment for premarital sex leaving only his prosthesis to identify him. Yet the tale still persists in modern memory, making us ask which part of the story we're really afraid of. Is it the hook-handed killer, the dark and dangerous night surrounding the car, or the boyfriend sitting beside you? In certain versions of this tale, he is the more concrete threat, and the real source of danger is his unwillingness to take no for an answer. Thanks again for tuning into Haunted Places. We'll be back tomorrow with a new urban legend and on Thursday with a new haunted place. 
You can find more episodes of Haunted Places and all other ParCast originals for free on Spotify. Not only does Spotify already have all your favorite music, but now Spotify is making it easy for you to enjoy all your favorite ParCast originals, like Haunted Places, for free from your phone, desktop, or smart speaker. To stream Haunted Places on Spotify, just open the app and type Haunted Places in the search bar. And don't forget to follow us on Facebook and Instagram at ParCast and Twitter at ParCast Network. Until tomorrow, don't believe some of the things you hear. Believe all of them. Haunted Places was created by Max Cutler, is a production of Cutler Media, and is part of the ParCast Network. It is produced by Max and Ron Cutler, with sound design by Carrie Murphy. Production assistance by Ron Shapiro, Paul Mahler, Maggie Admire, and Travis Clark. This episode of Haunted Places was written by Lil D. Ritter and Jennifer Richet. I'm Greg Polson. <laughs> <laughs>